Hi, I'm Joanne Murphy, and welcome to Try Talking Sport, the podium podcast for athletes, adventurers, and endurance enthusiasts. Welcome to episode six of Try Talking Sport. This episode is being recorded in the Specialized Store in Dublin. Today I am joined on the show by Shane Finn from County Kerry. The 27-year-old endurance athlete ran his first marathon at 17 years of age in Dingle. Since then, he has pursued a busy and active lifestyle of participating in endurance events, including marathons and Ironman races. He has also set and completed a number of multi-day endurance challenges, which include 12 marathons in 12 days, 24 marathons in 24 days, and earlier this year, he cycled and ran his way across 5,000 kilometers in the United States from the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco to the Brooklyn Bridge in New York. Not only has he completed these personal challenges, he has raised over 250,000 euro for spina bifida hydrocephalus since that very first marathon just under 10 years ago. In this episode, we delve into his adventure across America, his planning, training, logistics, and life on the road during the American tour, the highs, the lows, and the inspiration to keep moving towards the end goal of reaching Brooklyn Bridge within 36 days. Shane, welcome to the show and what a great location for the recording today in the Specialized Store in Dublin. There are way too many shiny bikes to look at distracting us from the recording. However, we will proceed. And Shane, for those of us listening who may not know you or who you are, because I probably won't do you any justice uh, in terms of an intro, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you very well. Firstly, Joanne, thanks very much for having me on. It's good to be here. Um, All right, where do we start with this intro? Um, So again, name is Shane. Finn. I'm 27 years old. I'm from the uh, the real capital of Ireland, which is Kerry. I don't know, but people uh, at Cork they might have a problem with that. But anyway, um, so yeah, I'm 27 years old. I suppose I started my endurance sports life life as a very naive 18 year old, um, and again we'll get we'll get into the background of why I started as well, I guess. Um, so I did my first marathon when I was 18. Um, set up my first business when I was 19. Uh, left college in between the two of those, um, and yeah, just went on this literally mad journey of uh self-exploration and flew out you know i i just i love traveling Um, and i remember after doing a couple of my first marathons and in 2014 i got this mad idea to run from dublin to dingle but after that and um, my, f- I, you know, at the time we were recession, a lot of the glads I would have grown up with in Dingle and stuff had moved away. And one of my mates outside in Melbourne had gotten big in Ironman, you know, and I was, I was just kind of, I just ran, that was kind of it, you know, and I kept picking up little niggles and stuff. And he's like, you should do an Ironman. I was like, sure, I can't even run 20 miles without pulling my hamstring, you know. So he was like, I was like, sure, look, I'll do it. So geographically, outside of Kona it was outside of Hawaii it was the furthest away in the world I could have gone from Dingle to do my first Ironman I was like sure it'd be a bit of fun you know so I did my first Ironman hadn't a clue what I was at doing my first Ironman unfortunately Ironman Melbourne is now it's it's done it's finished unfortunately and um, that was a great experience that gave me the bite to kind of do more triathlon stuff Um, in 2017 I came up with a mad idea to run around Ireland so I ran 24 marathons in 24 days, and we'll get into the why of that as well. Um, and then in in, a, in only a couple of months ago, I uh, in 2019, I cycled and ran across America. So that was uh, good fun as well. That started on the, the, the Golden Gate Bridge and uh, finished on the Brooklyn Bridge. So it was, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a mad nine years, nearly 10 years now, but uh, I'm enjoying every bit of it, and I tend to do so for another block of 10 or 20 or 30 years. 
it's incredible just listening to you and what you've achieved over nine years and you're still really young it's actually quite yeah, incredible I know I know it's a bit it's a bit mad I don't I don't feel young if that makes sense do you know what I mean I think like I've been around like it, it's it's I feel like I've been around forever kind of <laughs> you know what I mean and I tell you one thing when you bike and run across America you don't feel like a 27 year old when you get to the finish line or where you get home it's feel like more like a 77 year old but um no look i mean i suppose we'll get into it but i mean I, i'm very lucky to be able to do what i do i mean the people that i do it for you know can't actually do any of the things that i do so i it's it's um it's i suppose the the way i live my life and the way I, the way i carry myself is very much so based on that so um i mean if it's if it's a uh, biking and run across america if it's running around ireland if it's doing something for charity it's uh it's i'm just very grateful to be able to do it and that's the way i kind of look at my life you know you you mentioned charity there and yeah. uh, spina bifida, bifida hydrocephalus is your big uh charity yeah. close to your heart yeah. and you've raised over a quarter of a million euro through your mm. challenges over the past 10 years yeah it, it was uh, it started out i suppose so my first cousin mary she lives with the condition and uh we're recording this on a Friday. I'm actually heading. I'm staying with her tonight, so that's that's uh, they're all excited for that. Um, so this all started for me, I suppose, back doing that first Dingle Marathon. I couldn't have picked actually a harder marathon to do for my first one. And I think for my first one, I actually ran six miles twice beforehand and played a, a game a game of football on the Thursday night before a Saturday marathon. So now, just to quantify for people, you are a personal trainer, so you do have a little bit of yeah, a fitness yeah. background. Even back yes, then, you yes. were a personal well, trainer. The fitness professional life kind of came after the first mm. marathon, um, but I was just so naive. I was like, "Ah, sure, Tony, I run around sleighhead." Like I remember after I remember I, I I've never in my life felt as much physical pain as I did in that first marathon, and it just hooked me in. I was just like, I remember crossing the finish line maybe for thirty seconds. I was like, that was horrible. But I remember before even getting back to my house, I was like, I want to do that again. Do you know what I mean? So it was just it was just instantaneous like this hook, um, and then you know I suppose I raised eight grand in that first marathon, and I had no idea about fundraising, and I know had no idea about you know raising awareness and all this kind of stuff and the whole thing was completely new to me I hadn't an iota of what I was doing in fundraising or training I was at the time I was working in the fruit and veg and super value I'd work from like six in the morning till two or three in the afternoon then I go running and then I get in my car and I go drive around the peninsula of Dingle and knock on people's houses and doors and people my parents had know and tell them I was doing the Dingle Marathon and chance they'd sponsor me I mean, if you think about it, I had no sponsorship cards, and they were just—I was just literally like going around asking people for money for the charity. Uh, but I raised eight grand, and I had a had a great time doing it. And I suppose after that, I did the New York City Marathon. I adopted the same kind of a fundraising approach, knocking on doors. I'm never afraid to talk to people or anything like that, anyways. You know, so um, and we raised ten grand doing that. That was that was fantastic. And I saw at that time it was after the second fundraising marathon i did just one half marathon i was like this is kind of cool i said I'm, I'm 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 pushing myself physically way out of my comfort zone and um, i'm finding a new way to live and i said i'm also getting to help other people so it was a cool kind of um a turn to it do you know what i mean so for me i suppose i mean i'm lucky to be able to to do these things but i get to help other people i know that by doing what i do i'm, I'm helping people so that was a pretty nice it's a, it's a good way to get yourself out of bed on a, on a cold december morning you know and um, so that that was that and i suppose i knew i was like look i, I knew that all right i had a kind of a feeling after that second marathon that i was like oh, i think this is really going to be my life i said i really love it and it was the first time in my life i actually felt 
proud of something if that makes sense so I know I always played team sports and stuff growing up but I was very comfortable like I was showing it, when you're playing a game of football down well down Kerry's football is, football is big but you know you have 14 other lads in the team and you know it's it's not all on you and stuff like that so I was very comfortable I never really actually physically pushed myself so I, you know 20 miles into marathon no matter if you have training partners or you tra- it, there's no one going to run it for you like it's just you and you you know and I kind of like that so um, it kind of put me on a different path and then I knew with the fundraising stuff I was like I can do more like but I'd have to do something different you know and I, so with fast forward it was a year I had just set up we just set up the company and stuff and it was a fitness business in Dingle and we had a van and we were flying and we were doing great we're happy out but I bought the van second hand in a county that shall remain unnamed I haven't been back there since but um, it was uh, it was a dodgy van let's, let's just call it that but uh, I drove to Dublin one day for a seminar and I left like 4 in the morning I was going to drive home that night came out of the seminar van wouldn't start I rang my father, as you do, and again, cute carry man, he knows everything, but he didn't know how to fix this. So I was like, what'll I do? He goes, do you know what you can do now? I said, you can run home. <laughs> and I was like, uh, all right, okay. So anyways, got the van sorted, and uh, I was like, oh, do you know what, that's not a bad idea. So I was coming out by the red cow, and I pressed the, the thing on the clock, and I measured it down, I was like, God, oh, I can never do that, do you know? And couple what was weeks the distance? Past, it was just, it, it, it was about 400k. I was like, that's a long run, you know. I was like, I don't know if I could do something. And then time passed, I broke it down. I was like, I'm sure it's 12 days, you know. And I was like, you know, it's 24 and a half marathons. And sure, it's only, you know, a couple of five, eight, five Ks a day. And I, you know, you think about it, I could maybe do that, you know. So then in 2014, I ran from Dublin to Dingle and we raised like 33 grand. I was like, all right, I'm going on to something here now. And it was my first time getting into the... The longer multi-day, distance, The multi-day yeah. stuff. And that's a completely different ballgame. Completely different ballgame. And then I kind of relaxed a little bit. I uh, Well, I didn't relax. I took it easy. I didn't do any more kind of crazy stuff. And then the 24 marathons came in 2017. And that was a, that was a whole other spectrum. Um, that was, again, I suppose, you know, my cousin Mary, her, her, her condition was kind of deteriorating. She was, I remember understanding at this point, I suppose I was maturing myself as well a little bit. And I understand, you know, from talking to my family and stuff, like she was feeling... If you can imagine this, she was feeling the feeling of pain 24 hours a day. And I couldn't wrap my head around it. I was like, how can someone be in pain all the time? And I was just, I, I remember in Christmas of 2015, I was, I was young, you know, I was like, I just couldn't stop thinking about it. I remember I felt, I felt horrible. I was like, this is terrible. I was like, how can someone this day and age have to live like that, you know? And she was my cousin and, you know, and she was there around at Christmas time and, I was like, you know, I was like, this is something we have to do something like, you know, someone has to do something. And it was, was it wasn't just for my cousin Mary, it was for the whole organization. And I then came up with the idea of running 24 marathons in 24 days, because 24 hours a day is so hard for somebody with a disability and their family. There was no number. I wasn't, you know, I remember looking up to people like Jerry Duffy and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I remember actually reaching out to Jerry before I did it and things like that. And there was no, like, I wasn't trying to run 100 or 10. It was just 24 was the number. And I stuck with that, and we, we, we did it, we executed it, and there was a couple of hairy moments along the way, but, you know, that was uh, in June and July of 2017, and that was, uh, that was a phenomenal experience as well. That pushed me so far outside my comfort zone again. Um, so I'm picking up a bit of a common common theme here. Um, and we raised 142 grand that time, and that was that was huge. I mean, it, it got, you know, it got, it got a lot of traction nationally. Um, it was the biggest single fundraiser the charities ever had. 
um, and we just saw that the, the kids got to go to like an extra summer camp there was, was there, there was camps put on different parts of the country there was more respite available for the year and all that kind of stuff and I was like but to be honest for a small organization 142 grand is not a lot of money and um, so again another another little uh thing I do on the side is I teach part-time for a university in Connecticut that sends students to Dingle, um, which is a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. And I was there about two months after the 24 marathons finished. And I was delighted with life, happy out. I just ran around Ireland. It was like, sure, the world is my oyster now, you know. And the phone rang and it was somebody from the office, the charity in Dublin saying, look, bit of bad news. Our funding has been cut by 50 grand for next year. I was like, oh, I was like, you're serious. Just after raising 142, they could cut another 50. Um, and I was, I suppose at the time, I was kind of maybe, and I'm not going to say I was, I was maybe looking for something. You okay. know, I was a bit, I was like, oh, like, I hadn't found my limit, do you know what I mean? And I was like, I was like, there's more in you, like, you can't just stop there, you know? And it, wasn't, it wasn't even a, you know, it wasn't, I want, you know, I suppose this kind of stuff, this level of endurance stuff, it is a bit selfish, you know? But I think deep down, I, I just, I wasn't, fully content with where I'd gotten to. I was like, 24 was fantastic. It's great. There's more inside now. It'd be a fright to leave it in there. Do you know what I mean? So then comes the American Odyssey. Then comes that. And I think, you know, there's, I was either in the wrong place at the wrong time or I was either in the right place at the wrong time. I don't know. I'll leave that up to people to decide. But because I was in America and obviously I was in this little town called, called Fairfield in Connecticut, a lovely little spot right beside the beach, and I went for a walk on the beach after getting the news about the funding being caught. And I was like, just looking out in the ocean, I was like, Shh, that's it, America. You know, and I was like, I'll start the second last day from here. And I had like literally the whole thing almost planned out in like two hours. So just to, to quantify what you did is you, you started in San Francisco and you yeah. biked and ran your way all the way to New York, 5,000 kilometers in 36 days. 36 days, yeah. It's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a big country. I thought Ireland was big. I was like, ran around Ireland, it's like, oh my will it ever end you know but when you start uh, when you do a 303k bike through Nevada and you barely see the uh, you barely see the dot moving on the Google Maps you're like well, I'm in for a long month you know but it was uh, yeah it was uh, that was another another uh, another level and a different kettle of fish for sure so so break it down for me so it's 5,000 kilometers it's one side of the country to the other mm. you biked and you ran so what was yeah. the distances or what did you cover on every day or early, did you bike and run every day yeah early on the plan was to go three and three three days biking three days running that's six days I do that six times that gives me 36 days very very quickly that changed to four days biking two days running and um, so we went from on day two if anybody knows the geography of America, we went kind of in between Death Valley and Lake Tahoe, if anybody knows there. Um, and it goes from almost sea level to 8,000 feet within a day, which was a which is a huge jump and not really recommended. <laughs> I had to go out at it. I remember climbing for like nearly five hours straight without a break. Um, you, know, you, had, you had a little bit where maybe the roads had flattened out a little bit and things like that. So we lost a lot of distance within the last four days, in, in the first four days. I was behind almost like 312k or something after four days. And I, I genuinely remember lying in the camper at night in the first first 10 days being like, we're, we're not going to make it on, on May 3rd, you know. Um, and the reason we picked May 3rd because it was the May Bank Holiday in Ireland. So it was a Friday of the May Bank Holiday. And it was a good time. People wanted to fly over and like my family and things like that. They could um, and still be back for work on the Tuesday. So that's why we picked that. I was like, oh, we're not going to make it, you know. And I was like, look, we'll just take it every day as it comes. 
and I got back on track on day 35 was when we got back on track so a day before you're due to finish a day you managed before to, pull. to finish we pulled it off um, I pulled a couple of long days in the deserts because the roads were quiet so I could bike up until 9 or 10 o'clock at night um, so it was it was uh, it turned in instead of this big structured planned day by day thing it just turned into this absolute incredible adventure and I was just it like I was on adrenaline for like definitely 30 of the 36 days you know and I just remember being like how cool would it be to be like 310k behind and to still make it you know so it turned out like it, it worked out pretty well thank god you know um so you were averaging on the bike then the days that you cycled on the bike generally mm. what were you doing were you doing nine ten hours yeah I mean, my longest day in the bike was 13 hours that was on a long day that was uh that was in nevada um again we pushed on that day because the ro- there was a huge hard shoulder and I had my, my, my lights and my bike working. And did and the van like stay behind you for all of it? or it, 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 At times it did. It's When it got, when it, the, got when dark. night came, it did. But during the day, because we went on Highway 50. So it's one of the busiest parts of, of the highway in that. Now, when you get into the Midwest, it's one of the loneliest roads in America. But it's just, it, you know, the hard shoulders are huge. You know, we don't have big hard shoulders here in Ireland. But, you know, they go up the road maybe 5k or so. Um, and they'd have cold water and stuff like that if I needed to stop or you know little things I didn't carry spares the van would have all the spares just to keep the bike as light as I could you know um, so just they keep maybe, maybe they're always within 10k of me usually um, so that'd be up the road and we keep they keep kind of hopping me along you know or if I was going up a huge climb they, they, they wouldn't go to the top and I'd just keep chasing the van all the way to the top so I played little games like that you know and little things like my dad would be timing me going up hills and stuff and he's like oh you're did you get any Strava records do you know what I'm not a massive Strava guy I'm not a huge Strava guy I didn't I just all I had I'm, I'm a very very when it comes to this stuff I keep it it's, all I had on my garment if anybody uses garments is you know the navigation thing all I had on it was my heart rate and it said riding east so I was. You didn't know east. your pace, your time. I would click it every now and again to see what my pace was, you know. And it said riding east because I knew that New York was that way. And I do a lot. I do a load of heart rate training, so I knew that my my heart rate was important. I could nearly guess. It came to point, you know, when you spend ten hours a day on a bike looking down at a Garmin and you're looking at your heart rate, you can nearly just click over. And I could nearly guess what pace I was doing, you know, to the point one of a decimal point. Um. So yeah, it was interesting. I mean, it was. Uh, we had every kind of a weather. The weather was just something I to be honest I put my hand up I wasn't really expecting you know going through the desert and stuff you think it's going to be roasting hot there were days I was starting on the bike was like minus six minus seven degrees in Nevada and I was just like is it not meant to be hot here um so again I suppose a bit a bit naive on my side um but lessons learned you know pretty quickly again we had a ton of ton of spare kit and stuff so I was fine um it was you know, I suppose it was went into the Midwest when the real heat came, places like Kansas, Missouri, it was just dead heat, not much to see or not much going on. Um, it rained for five days straight. When I came into Indiana, it started raining and it kept raining until I got out of it. Um, you know, and there was a lot of snow. So again, I remember a bit of, bit of deja vu there a couple of weeks ago, Joe Barr, dude who did the Race Across America, climbed Wolf Creek. And I remember the day I climbed Wolf Creek, it was, it had snowed heavily the couple of days beforehand. So literally, it was you're just heading up this huge mountain pass. It's like a twelve thousand foot mountain pass in Colorado, and just just snow everywhere. You've no idea. You've no. You don't know where the cliff edge is. You don't know where the mountain starts or finishes. And it's just, uh, it was just a phenomenal experience. And I was like, you know, I remember now that I've had finished. I remember like finishing and being so like mentally drained, being like, that's it. I'm I'm never doing anything again. But I think you know, if someone gave me the option of doing something like that again. 
I probably would do it, you know, not for a while. I'm genuinely saying that, like, probably five years because there's other things I want to do now. But it's just uh, it's just so cool, like, and it's such a great adventure to, to go on, you know. And in the time, in the lead up to it, mm. did you ever think, oh, my God, what am I doing taking this challenge on? Um, or were you just in such a bubble of excitement and logistics and planning yeah. that it, it, when did it actually sink in? That you were <laughs> heading across to America with the crew and an yeah. RV and going to cycle across. So I, I, I actually flew out um, six weeks early. So I flew to Boulder in Colorado for a little stint at altitude before I went out. And I was hosted by a fantastic Irish Limerick man, Irish man over there, Ivan O'Gorman. So I spent, I was actually meant to spend four days there. But when I saw the, the, the setup in Boulder and the setup Ivan had and... I was just like, yeah, I'm just gonna. Like, You're moving over, I'm are you? I'm just like, I'm, I'm gonna stay here for another week if you don't mind. And uh, so I ended up getting out of the Airbnb and moving into Ivan's house, and um, just just having just having a lot of fun there. I think it was kind of there when I arrived in San Francisco after leaving Boulder. I was like, geez, I'm starting twenty days, you know. And I trained away hard in San Francisco, but not not nothing crazy. And I think it was really that four hours into day two, I was like here we go, this is going to be a long month, you're in for a, a tough five weeks, that. and it was literally from day two, it was five weeks till I, till I got, to, got to New York, but I remember like climbing and climbing and climbing on day two, and the air getting just thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner, and uh, I was like, yeah, here you go, you know, I went from the, like, the bamness of Napa Valley and all that kind of beautiful sunshine and wineries to like just snow-capped mountains in Sierra Nevadas within two days, and then you're quickly out of out of the real world and into this bubble, you know. Um, I mean, we had no phone coverage for like I'd say probably a third of the trip, so we were flagging down locals and stuff like that, being like, "Look, is this is it we on the right road?" And they're like, "Yeah, you're on the right road." And we just go on for another hundred k, then stop someone else, go into like literally if there was someone outside their house, be like, "Oh, we just double check we're on the right road." And you know, it was uh, it was a mad experience. I mean, I think I heard a story as well where there was a road closed. Somebody told you there was a road yeah. closed, and you decided to keep going. Yeah. And you were like, "Well, so if this, I turn that back, was, that's four hours that lost." Was day two. So I was climbing, and climbing. this is not a joke, right? The town I went through was called Fiddletown, right? So I climbed to Fiddletown, anyways, and I was like, "All right, this is the next land." We no phone coverage and nothing. So I had I had what I had on my arm. I had just noted down like exactly the little towns okay so i had three towns i had to hit on the road because i knew we'd know phone coverage so my physio ali she was like this town this town this town and then you know we can't go up there in the campers so i said if i went on the, the main kind of byway highway it would have added like 50k so i was like look i load up on nutrition and i'll head off this way i know where i'm going yeah so off i went anyways to fiddletown there wasn't much in fiddletown and i stopped into a shop and i i just wanted to fill up my water bottle so i had like five dollars in my pocket and the lady was like, where, where are you going? And I was like, oh, I cracked a joke. I was like, on oh, my way to New York. This is day two, you know, and she was looking at me. She was like, yeah, it's a, it's a long, it's a long cycle. I was like, I know, yeah. So I said, look, I said, um, how far, there's this, there's this landmark at the top of the hill called Ham's Restaurant. It's a big spot for truckers to stop. So you put in there and they do like steak sandwiches and donuts and all this kind of stuff. And that's where I was meeting the crew. And she goes, oh yeah, you keep going up the road. She said, you know what, the top that the mountains closed you know that because it's the cliff is falling off i was like no first i heard of that and now it's three hours up the hill here now at this stage like you know and about 40 minutes to get to where she was saying the road was closed and i was like look how bad is it like you know could you cycle by it or whatever and she said yeah look it's completely closed off by rocks and gates and boulders on both sides but she said it's about 2k 
you know, and I was kind of saying, I was like, all right, look, if I go back down and go back, I said, it's we're going to lose the, the one another day, day you know, yeah. I, I have to go for it. Do you know what I mean? So again, no phone coverage, nothing. The crew couldn't even see where I was and the trackers. It was a, it was a bit mad, really. Off I went, you know, I clipped out of the bike, climbed over the gate. Sure enough, one whole side of the road was gone off the cliff. And I was like, I think it might be safer if I just maybe go into the small ring here. So I made my way through the little rocks and stuff like that. And, you know, it took me, I'd say, about 15 minutes to wind through the, the couple K, you know. And then I got to the next gate and climbed over. And sure enough, the crew were just sitting on, they were all sitting outside the campers, like, wondering where I was. And I was like, any chance of a cup of tea? And everyone just burst out laughing, you know. So that that was, um, I mean, that was, was lucky I got to go through there. So a lot of the little things like that popped up that we weren't expecting. You think you've a straight road all the way there were days where we had to like just go down a different road because this was too busy and things like that and it that that became a problem maybe from day i remember day 19 onwards day 20 where you know if anybody has done anything like this that you know things like my neck and stuff started to get quite stiff so if i looked over my left shoulder on the tt bike especially the bike would just veer to the right it was just a balance thing you know and small little things like my my reactions were getting slower so if the camper van passed me it would just take me that split second extra to turn my head to like nod to Ali in the van, my physio or my dad, or give him a thumbs up or something like that, you know. And I started to notice that, and I was like, oh, I was like, you know, I'm starting to get a bit, a bit slow, like you so know. So how did you deal with that though? How did you compensate um, for that? I just had to be really careful. Just had to be really careful, and I think it, you know, to be honest, when you're doing, there's no amount of sleep that you can catch no. up. There's no supplement you can take to kind of fix that stuff, you know. Um, you know, you can drink all the coffee in the world you want, but unless, you know, and it's just, you just have to manage it, you know, you have to be really aware. So even, I remember just things like I would zone out, uh, which is a good thing when you're doing these kind of things, but it's also quite dangerous because, yeah, I wouldn't be able to hear trucks coming up behind me and all this kind of stuff, you know, and it was just, I just had to be really, really careful. Were you not nervous on the road about nervous. the traffic? And I presume nervous. you weren't listening to anything in your ears no, when you were... No, so there were days where, you know, the road's really quiet and I would, so on, in America, around the other side of the road, so I'd put in one, one headphone one and li- listen to a podcast or something or a bit of music. And if the roads were super quiet, there was a huge hard shoulder, I might put on some music. But there were, you know, there were days we were going through kind of towns and cities, you just you couldn't, you know. Um, I had one or two close calls with vehicles. I've had actually more close calls since I came home. Um, but it's just, you know, look, that's one of the risks. And it's you just have to be really careful and just have your wits about you. Don't do anything stupid. And, you know, if, if anything, just, just stop, clip out and just wait for the cars to pass or something, you know. Um, and how did you recover between say every night like what was your routine so yeah. obviously you get up in the morning mm. you've a bit of time to get yourself set up and have yeah. breakfast and go but mm. you know once you got off the bike or finished the run which we even haven't talked about yet because yeah. i knew you had trouble trouble with your achilles yeah um but how do you how do you get off the bike and come down off the rush of having completed yeah t- 10 or 12 or 13 mm. hours on the bike yeah so it was it was you know you can plan out as you can do as much nutritional planning you can do as much training as you want but uh, there are certain times doing something like this that you have to give the body what it wants and i love meat i am if there's an opposite to a vegan it's me like i love i love i love meat i love getting a lot of my calories in through meat i eat a lot of eggs i eat a lot of dairy a lot of veg so i used to love like having a huge burger a huge steak every night so that was my kind of that was kind of like my treat after the day you know so again nutritionally it was during the day i would probably consume an actual meal during the day 
usually around one o'clock I'd have like a six egg omelette or something like that with a lot of salt and things like that I crave salt I started really craving salt half it through so we used to get even like 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 potatoes salty potatoes and stuff and just a snack on and things like that and going through the drive through yeah, at McDonald's asking for a couple of sachets of salt I, uh, I had two <laughs> McDonald's in the whole trip and they were unbelievable I remember the next morning getting up and like doing like well now I had the wind in my back doing like a 34k per hour like for like 100k my dad was like, it's the McDonald's. It's definitely the McDonald's. I was like, that's the tailwind, dad, but you know, whatever. Uh, but anyways, like, so the recovery thing was hard. I was trying to get as much of my calories in as I could by night. But then, you know, you're going to, you have to go to bed. I'm shattered tired every night. Then you have to have to have a physio session. Uh, we worked, as you said, really hard on my Achilles. So my Achilles actually flared up on the bike, would you believe, not running. Because I climbed, and I'm not, I'm not joking, I climbed for like four days. According to my guy, when I climbed for four days, from day two to day six, like climbed for four days, not four hours. And I was like, will this ever end? And on that next, like a couple of days after that, you know, we had another series of climbs and I, I could just feel it, you know, and it was not, it hadn't, I had never actually had an Achilles injury before. So I could feel that and I was like, oh, what's this now, you know? So I actually, we actually called Ivan. So I did a ton of work in Boulder with Ivan beforehand on my setup, my saddle, my elbow angles, my feet, all that kind of stuff. I was kind of saying to him, I said, look, this is, we changed nothing actually on my bike setup. We, we just changed my saddles and my saddle angles. Um, but I said, look, what do you think of this? And he recommended to my physio alley to lock my foot in at about 90 degrees so strap it up so that you know you know and try avoid standing which was kind of hard to do as well because it was so hilly um so between him and ali working on me physically um we managed it and by managing is a nice way to put it to be honest so i had that to deal with yeah. um and then you know you get to the other thing as well is we had to stay in campsites every night because some states in america it's actually illegal to pull your rv over on the side of the road some places you can but you run the risk of getting robbed and stuff like that so so there might be a night where I'd finish in a town and our campsite's like an hour of a driveway. So I'm in the back of the camper, like still in my cycling gear, like trying to eat, like eat yogurt and nuts and get food into me before we got to the campsite and I'd have a shower and then I'd have a physio session and I'd be sweating so much in the physio session I have to go for another shower and then I'd have dinner and I'd usually treat myself to a couple of Oreos at night uh, with a cup of tea and then I'd go to bed and wake up and do it again the next day. So it was, it was tough. I struggled in the mornings and I struggled by night. Because in the morning times you wake up, you're tired, you're sore, you, you know you have like a 10 hour bike to do. And then by night you're like, yeah, look for the first hour, I have it done. But then it starts to kind of sink in like, oh, I have to do it again. again. And, yeah. uh, but look, I, that's what I signed up for. That's what I wanted to put myself into. And I wanted to see myself, you know, where I was at day 20 mentally and physically. And uh, it was exciting. I mean, like, I suppose if I was to go and do it again, would I change anything? I'd probably change a good few things, to be honest. Um, I think nutritionally I got it fairly right this time, which was good. Um, you know, I lost about 10 pounds and I lost it all in the last third of the of the event. That was probably chasing that 312 um, miles at the end, was it? I don't know what it was. I, I, I think, to be honest, I... I was work I got to a point where I think calories were just quite cooking it in enough yeah and I started we I bought a smoothie maker and we started making more extra smoothies and I'd you know I, I remember actually just getting as much calories as I could in every day and I would get extra calories in on the day in the bike because I was seated if that makes sense I can't eat a lot of food when I run so I can only eat after I run so the days I was biking I would try to get extra calories in um, and just try keep because I knew the more it's happening before you know I lose a lot of weight my power goes down and I'm recovering as well I'm just a bit tired or etc 
etc you know so I didn't want that to happen and I was kind of you know at that point I was going to finish it anyway you know but um, it's interesting and I, it's it's very I, I love finding out what the body can do what it does and how it responds and stuff like that you know so that was the the one thing if I was to do something like that again in the future not saying I will but um, that's probably the one thing I'd look into more um, was it me or was it was it what I was doing externally I'm not really sure but we'll uh, in, in terms of the running piece then because yeah. you know you did quite a lot of it on, on the bike but the running what was the average run you were doing um, or how many days did you run yeah any, anywhere trip? so it was four days on the bike and two days running so um, that works out at Okay, and I'm a petition now, but six, by four, 12, 24, days. so 24 days on the bike and 12 days running. So the 12, there was a minimum of a marathon every day. It was a pure minimum. Um, now there were, there were days where I had to hit about 40 miles and when the injury came in, <laughs> I would still get about 26 to 28 miles out of the legs, out of the Achilles without it actually getting really, really sore. And there were days, you know, where I might finish at three o'clock in the day. And, you know, I remember being like, delighted with myself and the crew being like it's it's three o'clock man like it's gonna go again like all right and i was just like are you having a laugh lads or they're like no man you need to make up the time so there were days where i'd run like a a marathon in the morning and i would eat and maybe take like a 15 minute nap and i come out and the boys would have my bike ready like let's go you know so there were because we were chasing remember we were we were two we were we were 300k down you know, and then the the snow hit us in the Rockies, and we got put back another couple of hundred k, and there was no, there was no, uh, there were no easy days. It was just uh, so on the run days, <clears throat> I would try start as early as I could, um, because it you got got quite hot in the Midwest as well. There were days where it was very very hot and muggy, so I would you know, and I enjoy the heat, but at that point I was so fatigued I tried to not be in it as much as I could, and yeah, you'd be get a marathon under the belt as early as you could. And then go out and try to do another five, six, maybe ten miles. And then if the Achilles was really sore, you might have just pushed out do a bit in the evening on the bike and stuff like that. And I would, you know, if I hit the required distance on a day, I was like, that's yeah, good. But, you know, I mean, why don't you go take 20K out of the next, the next day? day? So we started applying that approach. And that, for me, I, I then I was like, now I'm starting to win. So I, now I'm starting to catch up on the days. And now I'm starting to take chunks out of the next day. And then that, that was huge because then I go to bed at night being like, I'm ahead of tomorrow. You know, and then I wake up in the morning like confident and happy because I knew I was I had twenty k in the bag already. So little things like that, but it's mad how the mind, what the mind does in, in situations like this. But I was just happy to be able to run, to be honest, at the end because I remember I'm not joking, saying to myself one day, my leg was so sore, like my Achilles was so sore, I was like I genuinely think this is gonna snap. You know, so I remember having a lot of very serious conversations with Ali about it, and she was saying like, look, she said you can run, you can run really slowly, you have to strap it up. Um, but what happened then was I was running a lot slower than the pace I had trained at to run this thing. So I had ran, I do a long run in training, like six minute k's, six and a half minute k's, like nice and steady, really aerobic. I was now running like a bit slower than that again. And that physiologically and biomechanically has a different stress on your mm. body. So that started then, to, and then my, my, my knee started to get a little bit sore because I was protecting my Achilles and stuff like that. And I was like, look, we need to really, so then we started doubling up on the physio sessions and getting more ice on it and stuff like that. But we, uh, we managed to pull through and it was, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a touch and go for a while, but we, we got it done. I'm glad as well, it's, 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 it's pretty much fully recovered now. So I'm back doing a bit of doing a bit of hard running and stuff again. So it's uh, I'm just grateful it's still hanging on to be honest because I thought it was gonna snap off. Did you ever think that you wouldn't do it? 
Yeah. Were there times where the chatter in the head was, yeah. you're done, you're done? There were a lot of times, and I get asked that question quite a lot, and I suppose I, I'd be very much so, I'm, I'm a realist as well as much as an optimist, you know, but there were there were many, many times that I was like, I don't know if I can do it, you know. How but did you deal with those thoughts? I came, up, How did you I deal came up with this little thing. I was like, I can't, like, nobody can block out negative talk, right? And I think it's something I realized that, okay, look, you are going to not feel good at times. But it's how you speak to yourself at that time, I think, is really important and how you kind of perceive the negative thoughts or the negative inner voice. So what I used to do is like, I used to let it come whenever I used to decide to throw my bottles off the bike, we'll say, or toys out of the pram. Um, and I used to take, I used to set, I used to almost say, okay, you've got five minutes to be in this negative state. And then I used to look and it's five minutes later, I used to try, I try to compose five things that I was grateful for on that day literally at the, and I sometimes I have to do this two or three times a day you know and then it's it's mad at, after the fifth thing I'd be like okay just take a minute now no music and you just feel better and it was just something I put into place I was like take your five minutes and then come up with five things that you're you're grateful for you know I was like look I'm here I'm alive I'm moving forward and I the other thing I came up with was that if I keep moving forward no matter how sore I am or how slow I am or how much I'm suffering America will run out of land and I said, I'll actually, I'll win if I keep moving. But if I don't keep moving, America's going to beat me. And I didn't want America to beat me. So um, that was, that was there were my two kind of, uh, my mantras. And then the third one, I suppose, was the biggest one for me. And that at the time, if I was to get, I never really got emotional in the whole thing. But the only thing that would kind of trigger me a small bit would be that I knew my cousin Mary was going to be on the Brooklyn Bridge waiting for me on May the 3rd. So I said, look, if I have to bike through to tomorrow morning, I'm going to keep going. You know, so, I mean... I would be able to block negative self-talk out just for that reason alone because she was going to be there and I knew I was doing this for her and people like her on Ireland and you know there was there was families around Ireland that were relying on me to, to finish this and to show up and to get it done so um, I'm able to block things out that way because uh, you know I suppose when I look at it yeah I suffered for, for 36 days but she's been suffering for over 36 years you know so when you put it into into context I, I didn't go through a whole pile compared to what some others have, have, have gone through, you know. So things like that would help me block out negative self-talk pretty quickly. Um, but I still I still suffer with it. I still go through it just the same as everybody else does, you know. Some Sometimes people think uh, when I when I do these things that I'm like high-fiving all the time and I'm punching the air and stuff. There are times I go through blocks of four or five, six hours. I don't want to talk to anybody. We'll have you to get your I mean? dad and Ali on the next podcast oh, to see yeah. what you were really like. I'd actually love to do one <laughs> with my dad and Ali and just do like a, just like get them. We should all like sign a waiver beforehand and be like, all right, uh, cool. Um, but it was, yeah, it was interesting. And yeah, it's funny because my, I'm very close to my dad and my dad knows me really well and Ali knows me really well and they would know at, you know, I think anybody that does this kind of multi-day, you have your crew and your crew is your crew and they know what to you say. You can see the signs as well. They can yeah. see the difference in character and yeah, personality. You know, so I remember one time, actually, this is a funny story. We can move on to the next question then. I, I was, I was, it was one of the days in Indiana, you know, and I was, I was, remember I told you it, it rained for five days and you'd wake up at six in the morning, you could hear the rain just beating off the camper van again and you're like, I have to go out here now for 10 hours, you know. And it's, it wasn't cold. That's the that's the good thing. I so it wasn't cold. It was like warm rain, just like too, Ireland. Yeah, in well, yeah. So I remember one day just like like yeah, I was quite you know strict about my nutrition on the road and during the day and stuff. And I remember we just one day like I was in not in the best of form, you know. And I, my dad would every every second stop, every twenty k or so, you know, might have some nuts or I might have a half a banana or something like that. And I remember just he we're in the middle of nowhere. 
and I just come up to the van, he just hands me out like four Oreos, and we all just burst out laughing, and it, was, it changed my whole day. And I remember just cycling down the road in the pouring rain, like eating Oreos, and just had to light it with life, you know? So little things like that, they would kind of turn your day around. Um, you know, so it was, uh, don't don't tell the nutritionist that you're having Oreos on the bike and stuff, but like those four Oreos changed my day, you know? So it was funny. I mean, we had a lot of, a lot of good stories like that, but it was, um, yeah, it was definitely, uh, definitely a mad adventure for sure. I'm interested to find out what your training was like in advance mm. of the adventure because you obviously had the endurance in the legs from the 12 and 12, the 24 yeah. and 24, but this is an absolute beast of a challenge to yeah. take on. So I have realized that over the last kind of six or seven years that the most important thing with, with these things, the most important thing for me was to get to the start line injury free. So and I, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't last very long in the event without getting an injury, but... I think if I get myself to the start line injury free, I'm giving myself the best possible chance. So we say we, we talk about training philosophies quite a lot. And you know, if you're training for an Ironman or a marathon or a half Ironman, you would build up to the event and you'd peak and you'd be at your peak fitness for that event. Um, you can't be at your peak fitness for a month and a, a week. You know what I mean? So that I you know according to my heart rate data and stuff, technically I got fitter as the event went on. So my heart rate would have dropped as if the event went on. So, you know, there, there's no point being a hero and, and, and burying yourself going into something like this. So the approach I took was I, I trained quite easy going into it. Um, I stayed injury free and I was very, very, very adaptive in my training. So, for example, this is a little funny. My, my family kind of kind of make fun of me for this. But every Sunday morning in the month of December, I would run a marathon before mass. So I'd run a marathon and I'd go to mass with my mother on a Sunday morning and then I'd come home and have breakfast and go out the bike for two hours or something like that. Um, but what I did was, if I had planned out a session, I would, I would, I would, I would do my, my training in kind of 10-day blocks to allow some adaptability in there for a rest day or for, you know, if I planned to do a ten, two 10-mile runs, one in the morning, one in the evening, and I woke up in the morning and my two calves were really tight. It doesn't make much sense to go to two 10-milers that day. So I would go do a three-hour bike, go to the gym, do a load of foam rolling, and then do the two 10-milers the next day. You know, so little things like that, I would move things around, I would work, make it suit me, and I was, again, like I said, very adaptable. I think the week or 10 days that I spent out in Boulder really stood to me because it gave me a bit of a feel for, for the altitude. Um, and I biked very hard out there for, for seven days of the 10 days. Um, so that really stood to me. And then it was just get out to get out to San Francisco and, and not fall off a footpath or, or, or do fall asleep on the bike or do something silly. Falling asleep on the bike, it, it never happened to me at home when I was training. Um, it was a big problem in America it was a big it was towards the end as I got really tired um, especially if I went down on the aero bars it's just whatever way you just drop your head it's like almost intuitively like you want to close your eyes so um, just little things you know like as the crew started doing this thing anytime that they'd leapfrog me they'd, they'd beep to wake you up and I'd be like it, it'd annoy me every time and I'm like I know you're there but they would just do it to kind of like just to keep me alert you know um, so little things like that um, and I have to try to keep my mind stimulated and you know it was it was fun because I was struggling with this thing with, with both my hands my your ulnar nerve I lost the feeling of both my baby fingers from the handlebars of the bikes 
so it was really annoying and I would have to cons- consistently like move my hands around the bike so you know every little t- you know, Ali would, would they pull up beside me and say move your hands or she'd say get out of there get up here or go down the arrows or something like that or you know, move your hands into the middle and things like that so they'd constantly be I'd rarely be left for maybe more than 40 minutes without something somebody talking okay. to me or something like that so but I was very conscious of not falling asleep on the bike in America that was a that was one way I did not want to, to yeah. crash anyways, you know, but... Talk to me about your bikes. Uh, you brought two bikes with you, a TT yeah, and a road bike. Yeah, I, I, I brought two bikes with me. Again, a lot of people are saying, like, you're wasting your time bringing two bikes. A lot of people told me I was wasting my time bringing a TT bike, and I actually... I say a lot of people told you you were nuts for taking on the challenge yeah, in the first place, but that's not going to stop you. Yeah, I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. I, I, I know... Uh, well, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I had an idea. And I actually rode the TT bike more than the road bike. Yeah, I rode the TT right more than the road bike. I don't know what it was. I think, so again, I know I'm doing some stuff with, with Specialized now, but at the time I had a, a new Canyon Speedmax TT bike and I was just like in love with it. It was as, it was probably as close as I'll ever get to getting married before I actually get married. Um, and I was just, I just love that bike. And I remember like we spent a lot of good times together in the months training. And I just remember, I was just like, I, and then I got a road, we got a road bike, a Canyon Endurance road bike um, sponsored for the event. And I remember having the road bike and I was just like, it's nice, but it's no TT bike, you know? And I was like, look, I'm gonna bring the two of them. And I brought the two of them to Boulder and, you know, got the two of them set up and I was ready to rock. And, you know, obviously there were days where I would switch bikes and stuff like that. And days where I was climbing the Sierras and climbing the Rockies, obviously I used the road bike more, obviously. Um, but then there were days where, you know, I was just not feeling really feeling that. And just the thing at lunchtime, I might be just like, I'm gonna change bikes. And mentally it would just give me a different thing. Physically it would give me, you know, you're using different muscle groups, you're in different positions, and it would give me a little bit of a break, like my shoulders, my neck, and things like that. Um, so I, I liked to have the option, and I think it was a really good call um, to bring to bring the two bikes in. I was, you know, going out there, I was like, oh, you're gonna spend 80% of your time on the road bike. Um, but I just kept feeling myself going back to the TT bike, so it was, uh, it was pretty interesting. In terms of um, your achievements today, Shane, mm. what are you most proud of? What am I most proud of? Um, I think I'm most proud of probably, I'm going to say the 24 marathons. Why? I don't know. I think, so for the 24 marathons, I talk about your back being to the wall. Like not even in the, like, in the business stuff as well. Like every part of my life I was being really challenged. Um, and I'm very good at hiding that stuff. Um, so, you know, we had, we were facing a lot of challenges with the business and my business was my life. Um, so we, I set it up at 19 with, with nothing. We, we started with a, boot, with a running group in the marina in Dingle and we turned it into this very successful fitness business that people were coming from different parts of Kerry and Cork to train with us. Um, so that was, so that was everything to me. I remember actually not making a family dinner for nearly four months at one stage because I was just every day my business was my life and we were starting to have trouble with like the landlord and things like that and they were trying to sell the building and we were worried about losing everything and then I was trying to train to run around Ireland and I was just everything I was just mentally I was in a it was very very challenging Um, I always remained quite positive but to I just pulled through and I got it done and I remember Again, it's look. It's, it's part of it's part of the uh, part of what we do. I mean, you know, a lot of the people in the charity got involved in it. Um, we gave a lot of young people hope for something to be involved in. Um, and one of our crew members, Julianne, um, her and her family, they followed me for the whole twenty four days, 
and they 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 weren't necessarily part of the crew or part of the team they just they got in their car and they followed us everywhere and i finished the 24 marathon in july and that december julianne died in her sleep and i remember you know her telling me that she wanted to go to america to be there to finish line and stuff like that and i remember asking to be asked to be to speak at the church in her funeral oh my god and i remember her family and her brothers coming up to me saying you gave that girl the best days of her life so little that i think that's that's why the 24 marathon sticks out in my mind um obviously you know america was great and stuff but i think the difference between the two was because we were in a I felt like I was on a different planet, not mind a different country. So, and we were very detached from, I'm very close to my family, we were very detached from all my family, um, and we were very detached from the charity and the, the people I was doing it for, you know, it was very much so an online thing. Um, obviously, I was mainly offline, but the crew were online and stuff, you know, so I think that's why the 24 Martins kind of stick out to me the most, you know. I remember we were, I suppose, when you look at it from the endurance side of things, anybody here that's, that's from Cork, Right, I love people from Cork, and I love the banter between Kerry and Cork. And I remember planning out the route, and again, my uncles kind of planned out the route and stuff. You know, they helped me plan it out, and they were like, "Look, you can run up into Clarny, or you can run over to Cat Pass. That's the only way you're going to get out of Cork." And I was like, "Which is higher?" You know, and I, they were like, "Cat Pass is probably tougher." You know, and I was like, I'll, "I'll go up to Cat Pass." I remember for months and months and months and months in preparation training for it, being like, "I want to be physically in good enough shape to run up the Cat Pass." I remember it was like eleven k top to bottom. I did in like fifty four minutes or something. I remember just, I remember thinking about it on day three, being like, "I can't wait to get to Cat Pass." You know, and I'm all about staying present and stuff. But I think, I, and it was a, you know, it was a big jump up from the twelve Martins. But um, it that's definitely that'll that'll go down that'll go down in the uh, in the history books in my own mind not not even history books, but in my own mind as as uh, as my proudest achievement I think yeah. And how important is the support of your family? I mean, you mentioned your uncles, you mentioned yeah. your mom, you mentioned your dad, you yeah, mentioned huge. Ali as your physio, which is probably just like family now anyway. She's as good as family now yeah. at this stage. Yeah, no, it's that's everything really. To be honest, to me, I, like above all else, I think you know my my family's everything really. To be honest, because without them, I remember actually pre pre America post 24 my dad was having problems with his shoulders so my dad's a plasterer so he's always worked really hard his whole life so he um he was having problems with his shoulders and his hips and I remember coming up with the idea you know, obviously keeping it to myself for a couple of months and remember at as one Sunday at home just telling the family about like what I wanted to do and you know, it was funny, I was kind of expecting a more of a reaction out of him, you know, I was kind of like, my mum was like, yeah, sure, if you want to, you might as well, and I was just kind of, I thought she'd fall off the chair and be like, no, don't do it, and she was, I was just like, oh, all right, okay, and then at the time, you know, I was, my, my dad had, you know, he was, might have to go for surgery in his shoulders, and I remember saying to him, I said, Dan, unless you can go, I'm not doing it, you know, so... I'm not joking. I left the Golden Gate Bridge. I genuinely don't think he left me out of his sight until I got to New York. Um, you know, the van, they were always ahead of me or behind me or something like that. And he was just like, look, I, I don't care. So I just have to keep you in my sight. And he did the same thing in the 24 Martins, you know. Now, he'd be the first person to give out to me, but he'd be the first person there. If I, you know, he was the first man to say, I'll go to America with you, you know. Um, he was the first guy to tell me that I was an idiot for doing it. But he was also... Probably the proudest man as 30 well. 30 minutes later, he was like, I'll be there, I'll go with you, you know. So unless he could have gone, I don't think I would have done it, you know. So to have him there was 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 brilliant. And he always said, and even I remember growing up as a kid, being like, I'd love to go drive across America. 
I remember I started a conversation that evening with like, Dad, you should you should do that thing across America, you know. You only you you only live once, you know. He was like, Oh yeah, I said, sure, I might bike and run it and sure you can drive it. And uh, he was we were having dinner and my mom was like, Oh sure if you want to do it, you can do it. And I was like, Oh, that was easy, you know. But yeah, my 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 I mean my little brother and my mom came to New York to the finish, Mary got to come over to the finish, um yeah, so it was like, you know, it was a, I knew that they were going to be there at the end. And that was, at times, that was the only thing that kind of kept me going, really, to be honest. Because there are days, and, you know, I'm a very positive person, but there, there are days where, like, you just don't want to run and you just don't want to cycle. And I just knew I didn't want to keep them waiting at, at 3 o'clock on the 3rd of May. So uh, I had to keep moving. Are you a spiritual person? Um, I'd say I'd be very connected with myself. Yeah, I saw again. I, 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 people are still wondering why does a why does a, a twenty seven year old in Ireland go to mass every Sunday morning? I just, I just do it. I suppose I just out of habit, really. I suppose as well. Um, I do it to connect to myself, and I know that when I go into this place, I think there's a big connection between kind of what I'm trying to do in my life outside of endurance and my endurance. I feel it's all linked to the one thing. And um, I remember, and again, I'll tell the story, going on a bit of a tangent here, but last year I did Ironman Lake Placid. <clears throat> and again, it's just a habit. I don't know, is it a rural Ireland thing or what? Growing up as a kid, it's always got a mass the day before a match. Um, so if I, play, if I played football quite competitively up until I was 19 or 20, um, always got a mass the night before a match. It's a big thing. So I just carried it then as I started running, I would go to mass the night before a race or whatever, a run or whatever, you know. Um, and I remember seeing at Ironman Lake Placid that there was a mass for the athletes. An iron prayer. An iron prayer. I was like, I should probably go, you know. And um, so off I went and I was sitting inside there on my own, you know, and I was like, the place was packed. There was one seat left beside me. And I was, you know, nobody sat in it. I was like, oh, jeez, whatever. So um, and this lady came in about 10 minutes after it started. And again, I knew nobody up there. Nobody. Now, there was a friend of mine coming to watch the race with her family the next day on race day. But before the race, I was on my own. And um, got chatting anyways after the, the Iron Prayer was finished. And uh, she goes, oh, where are you from? And I saw she had a different color wristband on. She was a volunteer. And I, I, we, I think we had green wristbands on, so we were, we were, we were racing. And uh, I said, oh, I'm from Ireland. And she goes, oh, it's, what brings you all the way up to the Adirondacks? You know, it's about six and a half hours north of Manhattan. Like, it's way up there. And I was like, oh, you know, I said, I'd love, I just always wanted to do Ironman Lake Placid. And she was like, oh, that's really cool. I've always wanted to go to Ireland. And uh, she said, oh, actually, I was wondering what's the accessibility like in Europe. So I knew that, okay, maybe she, her son has a disability or something. And I was like, oh, it's good. It's improving. You know, it could be better. But I said, you know, a place like Germany and France would be fantastic. They'd be well ahead, you know. But I said, Ireland's getting pretty, pretty good now as well. And she was like, so what do you do? I was like, oh, I have my own business, blah, blah, blah. And I do a lot of charity work. And... So it turns out this random lady who sat in the one seat beside me, that was the only seat available, turns out her son had spina bifida. And I was just like, that was, things like, like that don't really happen by accident. I remember waking up the next morning, race morning, being like, this is, this is what I'm doing is correct. You know what I mean, what I just felt like this is the right thing to be doing. And I remember just going out and just having a really good race. And I kind of died in the end of the marathon. But um, I remember just going out and just really enjoying it. I remember she was at the third aid station on the run. And uh, she was just there like waiting for me. Do you know what I mean? And it was just such a good, uh, such a good experience. So little things like that, you know. Um, and I suppose as well, come back to the whole kind of the, like the gratitude thing. I'm just very, very grateful. Like to get up now and to walk out here on my own and to get up this morning and drive up here is, is some people can't do that. You know what I mean? So... I, I'm just very grateful to be able to do it, you know. 
For anyone who's thinking about taking on a multi-day endurance event, whether it's a race around Ireland mm. or the Transatlantic Way or whether it's a multi-running mm. event or whatever their choice of sport is, what would be your one piece of advice for them? Don't do it. <laughs> Wrong do answer. It, do it before you get married. That's why I'm doing all this kind of crazy stuff now so my future wife doesn't hate me. Have you met her yet? No, no. She's probably hiding somewhere. <laughs> um... My advice would probably be uh, to give it respect. I think that's a, that's a big thing. Endurance. I think, and I know that again, not to be not to get too uh, deep about it. I think if you respect what you're trying to do, um, it, it 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 breaks down the barrier a small bit. So people build these things up in their head, um, these huge goals, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, um, and they often psych themselves out of it. So you know, I think if you respect the distance, train appropriately. Um, listen to your body um, get specific with your training so if you're doing a multi-day cycling event you're going to have to do multi-day cycling things in, in, in training um, and then as well I suppose the last thing for me and that obviously from our conversation and anybody that followed one of the most important things is your crew mm-hmm. um, so if you're and obviously if you're doing a self-supported thing you, your, your crew is yourself but if you've got a team if you're allowed to have a team I think your team is really important and I, m- I remember actually having this conversation with a couple of people um, but your, your, your crew is everything because they're the ones that are there when you feel good they're the ones that are there when you feel bad they're the ones that are there when you get a flat they're the ones that are there to help you with your food and I remember speaking to um, to uh, actually he's going to England in a couple of weeks we're going to go for a spin uh, Joe Barr who just did mm-hmm. the race across America and Joe is said the exact same thing you know your crew is your crew is everything you know and your crew your crew know you and you know your crew and, and that's it and that gives you um, it gave me extra confidence actually starting in America knowing that this is my team and they have my back no matter if I have a good day or a bad day they're there and they, they'll you know they're going to keep showing up every day I mean I would go to bed at 10 o'clock and they would be still there at quarter past half past 11 like tidying up bits like making sure there's spare tubes in the van i get up at six they're up at five you know so they were doing just longer days than mm. i was doing you know so crew is everything give it respect train appropriately and, and i think you just enjoy it as well i mean it's such a great thing to be able to do these things you know what i mean it's so cool and then the other thing as well I'm like I wouldn't be competing with anybody. Now I would love to obviously in a couple of years' time get a little bit more competitive in Ironmans and stuff, but I've plenty of time to be doing that as well, you know. But I think it's just just find out what you can do. And I think, you know, I think human limits are, are, are don't exist really, to be honest. I mean, it doesn't matter if, you know, you wanna do your first park run or if you wanna bike and run across America, or if Iliud Kipchoge wants to run a sub two hour marathon. We're like so for me, I suppose, like I was saying, bike and run across America, run around Ireland. Yeah, it was a, it was a big goal. But a, a lady at the moment getting ready to run her first half marathon. Mentally, she could be going through the exact same things. You know what I mean? She could be doubting herself, worrying, and stuff like that. And we all go through it. And it's just to to embrace it and to realize that you know, once you do it, you let the the pendulum will move. And uh, yeah, just to to keep to keep exploring, keep pushing, and uh, enjoy it along the way. I think that's the most important thing. Well, speaking about um, keeping on pushing, uh, what's the goal for the rest of the year or maybe into 2020? Any big goals yeah. you're going to tell me? Um, so we, I, I've stepped away from the fitness business that I, that I set up when I was oh, many, many years ago, when I was 19. Um, so that, that, that has given me a lot of freedom, which is for me, it was a bit, a bit weird, actually, to be honest. I'm, you know, going from working 80 hours a week, 
in your own business to not you know having actually eight hours a week to work on yourself was 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 pretty different so when i came back from america i you know i, I still do a lot of online training so i train people online so i wanted to focus a little bit more on that um i am terrible at writing so i'm working on trying to prepare to write a book which would probably take me a year to be honest um uh you know i have a couple of other things i'm, I'm not going to do any major endurance things for the rest of the year i'm going to tr- i'm back training now um i i actually struggled after i finished cross america to be honest because again you know yeah everyone's like i have to take a break and all this kind of stuff and i was like you know what i i like i enjoy training just to train so I had to, just got back training again straight away, and I enjoyed that. And you know, I'm going to run the the Dingle Marathon. I'm going to do the New York City Marathon with my friend, and then next year I'll probably get back into a couple of Ironmans again. Um, maybe do Ironman Cork. I'm definitely have Ironman Lake Placid accommodation booked already for next year. Um, and yeah, I I just want to. I'd love to get to Kona once. I'd love to just just go once and just enjoy it and like bring my family with me and be in a position that when I do do it to bring my family with me, I want to be able to bring them. Um, and yeah, just just stay fit and stay healthy, I think as well, you know. And my final question, who inspires you in sport? Because you're an inspiration to so many yeah. people for what you've achieved, not only in sport, but through your fundraising and you know your determination mm. your focus from your business perspective yeah. as well as your sporting perspective you know so who inspires you yeah um i'm gonna pick i'm gonna pick one guy i'm gonna pick a guy and a girl if that's okay and they're both actually triathletes um one has a book one doesn't have a book the guy he's uh he's a funny he's a funny fish he's uh, a lot of people anybody who's into ironman might know him but i just love lionel sanders the, oh lionel he, yeah he's uh, just <laughs> such a he's the character, character. Uh, I just he just a breath of fresh air and he just you know there's no messing with him he just trains hard his background you know I mean I spent many many hours this winter um, training to his watching his videos online and just training to them and then I suppose the female would be probably Chrissy Wellington I mean I've read, read her book and stuff as well so she's a phenomenal phenomenal person a phenomenal athlete and uh, they're they're two two huge inspirations to me anyways um they're they're probably the two that would stand out for me at the moment um and then Ireland I mean the guy I look up to in Ireland is Brian McChrystal I mean mm. everyone wants to be Brian McChrystal you know if he's a uh, He's um he's a pretty inspirational guy as well. I take uh, I even get a you know I think using him as a as a benchmark and what he can do and you know he's an Irish record holder and stuff like that and I'm not saying I want to get to that level but you know he's pushing the boat out of what what's actually possible and what he can do and you know he's come he came from a soccer background you know so people like that would would be would be big and inspiration. And he's had me. success and he's had failures Huge and he success. keeps coming back and I think keeps it's a great fighting, keeps showing up keeps yeah, pushing that's it. Keeps and fighting. I just love that like I love I love the underdogs do you know what I mean like I don't get me wrong like I admire people like Jan Ferdino and all these guys as well but I just like guys like Lionel and just Brian they just come they just keep coming back and they just keep coming they don't lie down you know and I just really like that um, it's more like that underdog kind of mentality as well you know so they'd be uh, they'd be the kind of people that I would look up to and use as, as role models yep well thank you so much to Shane Finn for joining us on today's episode I presume you're not cycling back to Kerry now I am not I am going to drive um, <laughs> yeah I'll do a long bike on Sunday when I get home but no I'll drive back uh, drive back to it.
Very good. Well, listen, thanks again for joining us and a huge thank you to the team here at Specialised in Dublin for hosting the show. To check them out, you can go onto the website specialisedireland.com. Thanks as usual for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Please take 30 seconds to give us a review on Apple Podcasts and on the Facebook page, Try Talking Sport. And for more information or to check out our previous episodes, please log on to www.trytalkingsport.com. Thank you.